You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Thankful for the opportunity to come and, and open up uh, a series. Um, this is something that, uh, like Nick said, I've never done it before, so uh, give me some grace. <laughs> I hope I don't train wreck everybody else's sermons for the next, the next few weeks, but um, I, don't, I don't think that'll happen. I'm really... I'm really excited about the things that I've been kind of looking into, the things that I was sharing with Nick. I, I, I think that where we land today will, will set a good foundation for the rest of the, the next few weeks as we come into kind of the, the Easter season, the time where we look forward to the, the or look back on the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and, and look forward to coming help of him, him coming back. Um, and so kind of what, what I'm hoping we're going to land on today, kind of that, that foundation that I'd like to, to, to hopefully build, is, is, is this. God has an unshakable commitment to being with us. Like God has an unshakable commitment to being with us. And I think about that word, with. I actually just finished reading this book by Bob Goff called Everybody Always. Um, if you guys have heard of that, you may have heard of his, his first book called Love Does, which I think is better, um, but Everybody Always is still still pretty good, especially near the, the middle half to like the, the very end. And he has this kind of this whole chapter about this word with, what it means to be with people. And so I, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, just, just this idea of being, being with. And he, he makes the case that um, that's something that God really has on his heart is, is what it means to be with people and with, with each other. So I started thinking about this, this concept of being with. Um, and I, I thought about a, f- a few examples. One is, is about uh, me and kind of some things that, that I was desiring when I was younger. When I wanted to be with, or I wanted somebody to be, be with me when I was hurting or, or in pain or, or if I had my, uh, my feelings hurt, if I was upset. Um, I did this really weird thing, okay? This is not, this is not a positive example. This is like stuff you should not do, okay? Um, I did this thing where I would, I would figure out where like my mom was in the house. Like if she was in like the, the living room watching TV, I would pick maybe my room or just kind of like right around the corner. I just sort of just out of eyesight. And I'm not like a dramatic person, so I wouldn't like just like wail and cry, but I just, I just like cry or like sigh or like make really sad noises, like just loud enough that she would hear me. So kind of, I guess they'd be called like melodramatic. I don't know. And then, and then she'd come and like, oh, Justin, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, thank you. I just want to be, I just want to talk about this. And we can be, and I, just, I wanted her to be with me, but I didn't really know to just go into the living room and say, mom, I'm hurting. <laughs> can we talk about some stuff? Um, I, I desired that, that withness, but I didn't know kind of how to, how to get that or, or what to do with that. And thankfully I don't do that anymore totally I feel like I still do something like that in principle so I'm kind of working on that but um, I don't do especially not with my mom uh, I don't do that that bit anymore um, and I was thinking about this too I think when I think about my daughter Aaliyah she is like an expert at with she loves being with me she loves being with her mom she loves being with her sister she loves being with her friends um, I think the biggest not not tantrums but like crying fits I've ever seen from her have been come after having to leave some of her friends. She just loves being with her friends um, and with with us. 
Um, sometimes it's to a, a greater degree than, than I feel is appropriate. Like she, I don't know, like lately the last few weeks she's been like asking me to pick her up everywhere we go. And I, I mean, I haven't done it. I picked her up a couple of times, but I'm like, honey, you got legs. Your legs are going to get weak and they're going to shrivel up and die if you don't use them. <laughs> but she just, she always wants me to pick her up, take her upstairs or take her to the bathroom or take her down the street or whatever. She wants to be with me. She's really good at that. In fact, this morning, as I was practicing, I heard this little like knock on the door and I let her in and she came in and she was with me while I was practicing this, and we had more of like an interactive kind of sermon. She was kind of implementing her commentary while I was preaching, and I had to <laughs> wrangle some things, so it was, it was really fun. But she's, she's really good at that. She's got a good handle on what it means, and she really values being with us. And I really think that this is something that, that probably all of us experience to some degree or another. You know, we, we want to be with people. Now, maybe you're like, hey, I'm an introvert. That's fine. That just means you want to be with less people. (laughs) Uh, Extroverts like to be with more people. Um, But I think none of us, as much as we might enjoy occasional alone time, none of us wants to be like the kind of alone from like I Am Legend, where he's like the only human and there's tons of zombies everywhere else. Like that's not the kind of alone you want to be, right? Nobody wants to be the kind of alone where like you're in a spaceship all by yourself shooting out and, and there's no hope of seeing anybody else. Like that, that's not the kind of alone anybody wants. And so really we orient our lives, we do a lot of things, we, we say things, we, we, we build things, we work for things, all to be with people, our family, friends, uh, the places we want to go to um, get, get uh, a certain degree. You know, we're doing all these things to orient our lives around being, being with. And I think that the reason for that is because God put it there. I think, I think that's because it's part of us being made in His image, which comes back to this foundational idea that He has an unshakable commitment to being with us. He wants that so bad. So what we're going to look at today, uh, the, the story we're going to really zoom in on, is going to be that of Jesus in the garden. And if you look at your, uh, your bulletin, you'll notice that there's two gardens written written there. Um, and really there's three, but we're only going to talk about uh, the first two today. Um, and so how we're going to do that is I also don't have any specific um, scriptures written down in there. Uh, and that's because we're going to be covering two, two gardens, two stories, and they envelop a lot of different um, scripture. And so I would be happy to, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe kind of bolt through some of these relatively quickly. So if you would like the specific scripture references for these, I have them written down. I will give them to you. I'm not just making this stuff up, but I'm not going to be, for the sake of the story, for the sake of the narrative that we're going to go through, I'm not going to be addressing each one of those. Um, but I can tell you they'll be in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So if you'd like to open, you can, you can turn there first. And then for the portion where we go into the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm going to be bouncing around through all four Gospels. So um, I don't even know if you want to <laughs> know how many times we're going to go through those. Um, but that, I think, also should give us a good picture of, of God's Word and the totality of it. To make this, this statement work, we, I need Genesis and I need all four Gospels. I need all the different accounts to come together. So praise the Lord we have those. So if you'd like to, you can turn to Genesis 1 through 3 and just loosely follow along. I'm not going to be doing any kind of, um, uh, I'm not going to be reading, I'm going to be telling this story where we started with uh, the first story. 
So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God had this pattern about which that he did this. He would, he would make something, and then a few days later he would fill it with something. And every single time he made something and filled something, he called it good. So he starts with the, the expanses. He makes, he makes the, the heavens and the earth. And so he makes the heavens, and he makes the, the, the few days later he makes the stars to fill that, and the moon and the sun, planets to fill that. And then uh, another day he, he makes and he separates the, the waters from each other, the sky from the waters. And then on another day, if you down the line, he, he fills those things with fish and with, with um, birds. And then um, he makes, uh, on the third day, he makes land to come up out of the water. And he separates the water from the land. And then he fills the land with trees and with brush and with really beautiful um, green things. And then on the sixth day, he fills that with animals. And then the very last thing that he makes, he says, let us make man in our image. And so he did. He made man in his image. Both male and female he made in his image. And so then Genesis 2 kind of zeroes in on, on that story, what that looked like. And so God takes um, dirt and mud and, and gunk and he brings it up and he breathes into it and that's, that's Adam. That's the first man. And then he, he grabs Adam and he puts him and he plants this garden. So already there's like stuff growing and it's kind of, there's this kind of image of beauty and greenery, but he makes this special place, this garden, and he sticks Adam in the garden. And he says, Adam, I've got a job for you. I want you to, to tend this. I want you to be, um, give you dominion over the animals. I want you to, to, to watch over these things and order them and care for them. Kind of the things I've been doing, I want you to continue doing those things too, but we're going to do this thing together. And so then he has Adam look and name all these different animals, but Adam notices that not one of these animals is, is like his equal. It's not one that he can be with in the same way that he could be with himself or, or with the Lord. And so God puts him to sleep and yanks out one of his ribs and makes a woman from that rib. And then Adam wakes up and says some of the first love poetry we ever see in the Bible. And it's really beautiful. And, and so now he's finally got a woman to be with. And now they can be with. And now both them and God can be with each other doing this thing together. This isn't just a, hey, I've made you guys, let's just go have fun. It's like, hey, I made you guys to, to take care of this, to order this, to work in this with me. I made all the stuff before this. I made it all work, but I didn't want to do it alone. I wanted to do this with you. And so that's what I made you for. I made you to be with me. And we see from, from both those things, from, from him creating them in the garden. And then even in like Genesis 3, we see that God seems like made it a, a habit to walk with them in the garden. He, he would just regularly be with them in the garden, walking in the, in the cool of the day or the, the wind of the day. And so it's kind of where we start with this picture of the garden is God is with humans in the garden. And we don't know how much time passes, but sometime after this, uh, Satan enters the picture and he, he tells them some things that are not true. See, God said... You can eat from, from any tree in this garden. Anything that you see that's, that's fruit, you can eat it. Except for one. And that's the tree of the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil. And so Satan came in and he said, Well, 
Maybe, maybe you, you could have that. And see, God just doesn't want you to have that because then you'd be like Him. Which is tragic because they were already so much like Him. And so they are deceived. They think that it's a good idea. They think it's just wise. They think it'd be good to be like God in a way that's outside of what, how they already were made. And they eat of it. And they betray God in the garden. And this betrayal is, is a huge deal because this betrayal from a place that's full of life and abundance and growth introduces sin and death and destruction and disorder into this perfect world that God had made. So as seems to be God's habit, he comes and he, he shows up to the garden and they can hear him and so they run and they hide from him. And he asks this question. And I think it's rhetorical. He says, where are you? I think God physically knew where they were. And I think we can, we can agree to that. So the question wasn't for his benefit. I think the question was for their benefit. For them to ask the question, where am I? What have I done? So he asked the question. And they come forward. And out comes kind of the confession and sort of a... Uh, a blame game at first, but but it comes out to, to what what has ended up happening. You can tell that there's there's at this point there's shame and, and there's guilt, and, and so then God pronounces, okay, here's here's what's going to happen. Here are the the consequences for this action, and He lays out the consequences for the man, and He lays out the consequences for the woman, and He lays out the consequences for the serpent last, and He says, listen, you get it worse, dude. You're toast. Alright, when, when the time comes, there's gonna be enmity between you and the woman, see, but when the time comes, you're gonna strike this, this mysterious figure's heel, but he's gonna crush your head. And so already, from the outset, where God could have just been like, alright, you guys are done, I'm just restarting. Everything's wiped out. Let's, let's redo something. He has a, a commitment to being with us. And so he sets something into place. He, he prophesies right there that something's going to happen. I'm going to take care of this so that the thing that you guys didn't ultimately value, being with me, will happen again. I will be with you again. And then he takes an animal and he, he kills it, uh, shedding its, its blood and taking its skin to make into clothes for Adam and Eve to cover their, their nakedness. Their feelings of shame from their sin. And then he sends them out. He expels them from the garden and puts up two uh, angels to watch over that, that entrance so that they can't come back in. So if we stop at that first garden, we can kind of wonder, well, what, what happened? God's determination is unshakable. If his commitment is so insane to make sure that we're with each other, then how does it end there? How do we end with them being being expelled? And if we look, we can see all through the rest of the Old Testament, through the rest of um, Genesis and Exodus. Um, we look through the, the historical narrative in First and Second Kings and First and Samuel, and we look all through the prophets, and we see this recurring theme of God making it possible for Him to be with His people, and they keep on squandering it. They keep on doing something that makes it so that that's, that's not possible or that they don't, they just don't value it. And it just happens over and over and over again. All these different ways. God just keeps doing different things because he's showing 
I am committed to being with you. And eventually we get to Jesus. And Jesus is, is born, and he lives the first 30-ish years of his life. And he starts having, he starts his, his public ministry. He says, then now's the time for me to begin doing my ministry. And so he has these disciples, these followers, these people who are going around with him, watching him enter into uh, a time and place where sickness is rampant. Hunger is incredible. Um, th- there is so much brokenness, demon possession. And he walks through into those things with his disciples. And he systematically turns the chaos into order. And he takes things that are dark and he turns them into light. And he takes things that were sick and diseased and evil and he heals them and makes them good again. And so they're watching this, this whole time, watching him turning this chaos into what's good. And it, and it just seems like it's getting better and better. And then you have, over the course of that uh, three-ish years, they come, they're coming up to Passover. It's just an incredible celebration of what God did in Exodus and how he rescued his people from evil and darkness so that he could be with them again. And they're, they're celebrating this, or they're getting ready to, to celebrate this. And Jesus, God in human form, invites these humans, these disciples, into where? A garden. So we have the expelling from the garden. God did that. And we come all the way up to here. And Jesus is inviting them into a garden. He wants to be with them in the garden. He asks them to stay up and pray with him in the garden. And they're getting too sleepy to do it. And he goes on after a little bit to, to pray and talk with his father and be alone with him for a time. And during that time, he begins to, um, to, to bleed from his, his skin, from his pores. The, the stress and the pressure of what he knows he's about to do, which is taking on the sins of all humanity and, and dying, even though he didn't deserve that, paying the penalty for our sin. He, he knew he was going to do that. And that, that pressure was so immense that it caused him to bleed. The capillaries in his skin were breaking and he was bleeding. It looked like he was sweating blood. And so blood was being shed in anticipation of this immense sacrifice that was meant to cover our guilt, our sin, our shame. Soon after this, Jesus comes back to his disciples. I kind of doubt he had been able to like clean himself up, so probably still looking pretty horrifying, pretty bloody. And this whole mob of people starts coming. And, and Judas is there, this guy who had been following Jesus this last two, two and a half years, three years. And Judas comes to Jesus and kisses his probably bloody face. And Jesus asks him a question. Why are you here? I think Jesus knew why he was there. He had just sweat blood thinking about why Judas was going to be there, right? This question is not for Jesus' benefit. This question is for the person doing the betraying. And I think it's a question that Judas reflected on. I'll be a little bit too late. And so Judas hands him over to the, the, uh, the guard. And they, they take him and they arrest him. 
And in this betrayal, which happened because of sin and disorder and evil entering in the world, working through Judas, working through all these people that Jesus is here to save, this betrayal happens through those things. Ultimately, you know the end of the story. Jesus is betrayed, he's killed, and then he rises again from the dead. So this betrayal in this garden coming through sin and death introduces again redemption and goodness and light and power. And the last thing that happens in the garden is all the disciples run away. They run from the presence of Jesus. And they desert him. So, already, probably, some of you guys have made some some connections between these two gardens. This is stuff that I just started kind of like thinking about like last year. It just like kind of hit me while we were going through the book of Matthew. And then I started kind of teasing this stuff out and looking. I haven't touched on all the different connections that there are. There's a ton of different connections. But something that I've kind of developed that I want to share with you guys is uh, this, 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 um, it's not a graph. It's like a, a sequence, I guess, uh, called a, a chiasm or a chiastic structure. Has anybody ever heard of a chiasm before? A chance? Yeah, a few. Um, it's, it's really, really, it's a fascinating thing. It's like you lay out all these, this series of statements or this series of, of historical things that happens, and then you reach a certain point, and then it, and then it reverses or, or inverts or kind of mirrors, and the same kinds of things keep happening all the way to the, the end of that, um, that structure. So the way that I have this one set up, I have, I have five things that then get uh, inverted, and so I'll share those with you now. The, the way I kind of do it, those five, is I use um, letters, and then, and then I'll use um, uh, two of those letters later. So the way I'll explain it is this. So point A, so you can write down if you're taking notes, A is God walks in the garden with humans. A, God with humans in the garden. And then we have um, B, which is the betrayal. You can remember that pretty easy. B, betrayal. And this, I think, is kind of the, the pinnacle of this, this whole thing. During this betrayal, like I was emphasizing before, we have sin, death, disorder, chaos introduced into creation. Everything becomes broken and bad because of this betrayal. It is through this betrayal that sin enters the world and, and messes all of us up. So B would be that um, the, the betrayal that introduces sin and death. C is the rhetorical question. So God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? So C could be God asks rhetorical, rhetorical question. D is God sheds the blood of an innocent animal. I like to think maybe it was a sheep. Maybe it was a lamb. I don't know. I don't know that for sure. That's just kind of my own theory. Um, two, cover Adam and Eve's sin. So an innocent animal, blood is shed to cover Adam and Eve. And then E, the final bit of the story, is God expels humans from the garden. Okay? 
A, B, C, D, E. That's five, five points. So now we're going to go through the Garden of Yosemite, and it's going to reverse those things, okay? So we're going to start with E, E, which is the reversal of E, okay? So E, E is Jesus invites his disciples into the Garden. He wants them to be with him as they go back into the Garden. So E, E, Jesus invites his disciples into the Garden. This is reversing or inverting God expelling the disciples or the, the humans out of the Garden. Then DD would be the reversal of the, um, the animal being offered. So Jesus sweats blood in anticipation for covering, for, for making this, this ultimate sacrifice of his life. So D was that an animal was slain to cover over, the blood was shed to cover over Adam and Eve's sin. Jesus is sweating blood in anticipation for and preparing for um, being sacrificed for all of our sin. That's DD. So then CC corresponds to the, the rhetorical question, which is where Jesus asks Judas, why are you here? So Jesus asks a rhetorical question, would be CC. That's the inversion of God asking the humans, where are you? And then BB, I think this is, this is really where we kind of zero in on this, this betrayal again. Man, the first betrayal brought in, introduced, welcomed death and destruction and disorder and chaos. But this one is so beautiful the way God did this. He gives this promise. He takes the very thing that caused the sin to enter and he uses that thing, betrayal in a garden at God, to reverse it. That's incredible. That is so cool to me. He, he used the thing... That caused the betra- that, that that caused the problem to to reverse it and make it a solution. He he redeems it completely. So through this second betrayal, through Judas's betrayal, um, redemption enters into the story. Redeeming and hope and newness enters into the story. And so that leaves finally with with uh, A A. The disciples scatter and they run from Jesus's presence, which is an inversion of God being with. His people in the garden. And so, if you're like me, there's a little bit of like conflict at the end of that. You're like, I don't like ending there. That just seems kind of crazy. Like the disciples are just gone and everything's sort of still haphazard and we don't really know what's going on. Well, there's a third garden. And we're going to get there. I'm not going to get there with you. But, but Nick's going to talk a little tiny, tiny bit about it, I think, um, at the very end of the series. And... I want you guys to, to kind of feel that, feel that conflict. There's another garden coming. And all of this is, I think, even just another bigger version of this chiasm leading up to, to that. But what I see over and over again here is, man, God's just unshakable commitment to be with us. That is what he built us for. And then when we ruined it, I mean immediately, within within like hours he speaks the words that are going to undo that and then we see Jesus start that in a garden using betrayal to do it using sin he's going to undo the sin that we caused that's just beautiful to me he is not going to be stopped by sin he's not going to be stopped by us betraying him that's what started it 
That's what got Jesus to where he was. And he's like, I don't care. I'm using that too. I'll use whatever it takes to show you I want to be with you. So we can have a couple different responses to this. You know, maybe this is your first time kind of realizing, maybe you've always thought of God as being like really, really mean and like he made you, but then he's just like really has this like super high expectations of you that if you don't meet, he doesn't want anything to do with you. Show me, because I don't see it. I see over and over again, and especially in these two places, he is doing everything that he can to be with you. And so the response then, I think there is, respond to that back. Be with Him. Ask Him to enter into your life so you guys can be together. Ask Him to save you. That's, that's what all this is about. When we zoom into the garden, that's what we see. We see Jesus sweating blood, agonizing over this idea that He's going to die and a guilty death that he doesn't deserve. He's innocent. He did that for you. And then for those in here who have, who have already put your trust and faith in him, you've already said, yes, Lord, I want to be with you. Well, man, he's... I don't know how you feel about this, about reading through this and like exploring those connections, but to me that gets me fired up. And that stuff is all throughout the Bible. It's everywhere. I, I remember I wasted the first like 18 years of my life thinking that the Bible was really boring. And that's a bummer. That's a terrible place to be. If you're there, I'm really sorry for you. Because <laughs> it's not. It is incredible. And all, all this stuff just comes from just reading it. Just taking the time to look at it and think about it and to piece through some stuff and to make some connections. That's all it is. And so for those of us who have already put our trust in Him, have already said, yes, Lord, I want to be with you. Well, man, he, he wanted so badly for us to know this stuff. He's, he's given us his, his presence. We get to be with him every day, every moment we want to be. So I, I would just challenge you even today to spend some time with him today. And if that's not already a, a thing that you do every day, work to make that a, a part of your every day. Move something else around. Spend some time with Him. In, in His Word, with Him, hearing the things He has to say, the things He wants to show you. And in, in time, praying to Him, talking to Him about things that are on your heart, the things that are going on in your life. Because they are connected. And man, He's done everything uh, humanly and godly possible to, to make that happen, to be with you. He's got an unshakable commitment to be with you. Be with us. So we're gonna we're gonna be done for the day. I know it's kind of simple, but that's uh, that's that's I think where we land a lot of times. Um, so if you guys would pray with me, uh, we're gonna transition to another time. Jesus, thank you so much. That at the outset of creation, the thing that distinguishes us from everything else that you made is that you made us to be with you. you. You created us to be in your presence, to be working with you. You didn't just set up this whole world and then 
throw us on it to, to see what happens. This isn't some grand experiment. It's not a mistake. You did it because you wanted to be with us. And, and we squandered that. But we still squander it today. But Lord, I pray that as we look and reflect on these two gardens, we would look forward to the future garden where all that stuff is just gone. We would, we would zoom in and, and think clearly about Jesus' interaction in the garden. Lord, you were betrayed in the garden twice. And I pray that through that, we, w- we would take these, this, this understanding, this deep understanding of your desire to be present with us, because it, it changes everything about what we do. I pray that you would use that to change the way we think about being present with uh, other people, with our kids, with our parents, with our friends. Help us to be uh, present with them. But also, Lord, I just really pray that we would be present with you. We would make the time to spend it with you, to know you better, to see things like this that just, at least for me, just get me really, really excited. And I pray that when, when we do that, we would see the change that happens uh, all over this community. We would see witness all throughout us, that we would enjoy being with each other, that it would just take the things that we already enjoy, the ways that we're already doing this and living this out intentionally or unintentionally. It would just, it would just magnify that and multiply that and make us uh, just a solid group of people, part of your body that loves you and wants to see you in Rapid City. Pray that you would do these things for the glory of your kingdom, for that future kingdom, the future garden where everything will be perfect and there will be no more betrayal. We zoom in at every single thing that you do, all these things that we look at the next few weeks, and we see that all of that is built on this foundation of your commitment to be with us. It would hit us over and over and over again how much you love and care for us. All those things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Justin. At Christmas time, we know that Jesus is given the name Emmanuel, God with us. And it's funny we don't carry that all the way through to Easter, that we think of... Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.